0: So welcome, Warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm really excited to talk today to a special friend and guest, Ariel Spiegel from CoFertility. So you may be following CoFertility on Instagram and you may have even gone to their website. We'll talk about it a bit later, but it's basically where you can go to ask any and all questions that you have and get a qualified answer. Um, There's also some great information about fertility grants in there. As I said, we're talking about that later. But today I wanted to get Ariel on to talk about her journey. And the reason why is because... I am seeing more and more and more in my clients, in my audience, people who are going through cycle after cycle of heartbreaking, you know, like fertility treatments, IVF, IUIs and things like that, and just not feeling like they're not getting anywhere. And Ariel has a really powerful story, you know, whether or not it made a difference or not, we'll chat about that, but in advocating for herself. Uh, and so let's dive in. Ariel, I'm really thrilled that we've been able to catch up and get you on the podcast. I'm excited too. Thank you so much for having me. So I am going to basically be a really good or do my best <laughs> to be a really good listener and just, I guess start from the beginning of your journey of trying to conceive. So when did you first start trying to conceive?
1: So that would have been a little over three years ago. My husband and I had been married at that point for about two, about two years, maybe a little longer. Um, And we were the first of our friends um, to get married and we were the first of our friends to start trying for a baby. Um, And, you know, I was young by New York City standards at the, at the time I, I was 28 and i remember i went off the pill and i remember thinking like oh my god like this is so I, like i felt like such a badass like it was so like dangerous and thinking that um you know because that's what we're taught when mm-hmm. we're younger is that you know unless you use protection your chance of getting pregnant is like super high and i'm not you know knocking the us education system for preventing you know scds and unwanted pregnancies and all of that but like nobody prepares you for actually like what you need to know for when you actually like are trying to get pregnant so i went off the pill i was told by my ob to just like try for six months and come back if nothing happens no like here's what you should do if you want to try like no track your ovulation this way or that um <laughs> just it was have just sex like, any just, just try and so like and i didn't know any better because we didn't have any other friends or siblings or anything with prior experience. So, um, so that's like what we did. I like, we had no, we, we didn't have any like, uh, guidebook to what we were doing. And we just had a lot of sex and, um, and you know, and when nothing was really happening after a few, I started to kind of get a gut feeling, maybe something might be wrong. Um, but, uh, so at that point I started using like cycle tracking apps and taking my temperature um, and I learned that there really only were a couple of days during my cycle when there actually was a chance. Right around that time, um, I experienced my first chemical pregnancy. And mm. I don't even think I really like processed what that even truly meant because same thing, like nobody really talks about it. So all I really knew was that I saw a positive pregnancy test one day and then the next morning it, it was not positive anymore. So I didn't really it didn't really register to me, like what had happened. Um, I went in, you know, I did a blood test with my OB. It was negative And like, I kind of just like went on my way and not, it wasn't until months later when my OB said like, you, you know, you experienced a very early miscarriage that I like actually processed it and was like mm-hmm. upset about it and, and realized what had happened. But anyway, um, I, I had that chemical pregnancy we kept trying for a couple of months and then you know soon enough that six-month mark rolled around and i went i still wasn't pregnant so i went back to my ob um that's where she explained the reality of what a chemical pregnancy actually was a very early loss and you know she advised she you know advised me to pretend to go and get um an hsg which I, i remember going to And I went by myself because I didn't think anything of it. Um, And the technician, it was so painful, first of all. Um, I don't know if you've ever had one.
0: Yeah, like, and I didn't, I didn't expect the pain. So, like, for anyone out there who hasn't had one, can I just tell you, it's a mixed bag of how people like fear like the feeling is different for most people but yes mine was well, painful. people
1: tolerate pain differently so like yeah. I'm just like I have a very low pain tolerance oh. but it is painful see I have a
0: high pain tolerance but and I was like <laughs> they put in whatever they put in the dye or whatever and I was like I'm okay and then 30 seconds later I was like no I'm not and then they're like stay still stay still 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 and I'm like oh my god I can't stay still anymore and then they're like keep still (laughs)
1: anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. it's
1: it's (laughs) The only, right, right. The only, the only good, the only saving grace is that it's, it is very quick. Um, I think they do tell you to take, um, you know, like pain reliever medication and stuff beforehand. So like, I mean, maybe they, but they could, they could probably do a better job preparing you for, for the pain, but it's pretty, it's pretty quick. Um, but anyway, the, the technician looked at me and said like, Oh, you're, you have a misshapen uterus. You, like, I'm, I'm not, like, that's not surprising that you've had trouble, uh, getting pregnant. Um, you know, you're, you like some, like something's wrong with your uterus basically. Mm. And I was like, what? Like that yes. it was, it was, I remember, cause I was alone and I wasn't expecting bad news, like news like that. And he basically told me this guy who like, didn't know what he was talking about, basically told me that I like, was never going to get pregnant and that uh. I, I was like de- deformed. And, um, so I remember walk i like walked to work afterwards and I, I like i had to take like half an hour to like gather myself because i was like hysterical um and so that after that my my doctor was like okay like you should go and do an mri which i went and did which showed that i had a septum in my uterus so that mm-hmm. my uterus was not like misshapen it was just the fact that i had a septum was kind of um, warping what the imaging looked like uh, because it was blocking certain angles and things like that. So, turned out I had a, I had a septum from top to bottom um, all the way throughout my uterus. And at that point, I was kind of like, "Okay, I don't want to mess around anymore. Like, I'm going to go and see a fertility specialist um, or a reproductive endocrinologist." Um, I could have had my OB remove the septum, but I was like, "I've already spent over six months dealing with." this shit like you know th- th- this is, Let's get this show on the road. Yeah, yeah. So, um and can so you explain
0: know, like, to fertility... me that sorry, can you explain to me because I think there are a lot of people who will just sit at their OBGYN's office for a very long time. Are you able to explain to me what you saw as the benefit in going to see a fertility specialist?
1: Yeah, well, I just knew I had one friend who was seeing a fertility specialist um not because she was like actively trying to even get pregnant at that moment but long story short she had found out some genetic things about herself and like wanted to take care of some things before she got married and um so i i knew that these people these experts existed out there um and i knew that like my and i'm not a very patient patience is not my is not one of my strong suits um And especially when nobody prepares you for the length of time that it could take you to get pregnant. Um, it really like, it's all consuming. So, and, and to kind of top it off, I just kind of felt like my OB, I maybe could have found a different OB, but I felt like my OB really didn't like have a solid handle on like fertility issues, given that she gave me such little guidance in the first place. Um, so I was just like, screw this. Like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to like someone who like really knows what they're talking about. Um so I went to I I went to an RE, the RE that my friend was actually seeing, um and he basically he looked at the the imagery from my MRI and he explained that I had a septum and he you know, he did some testing on myself and my husband and um all of which came back normal if not even better than normal. I had a I had a pretty high um not like PCOS, but I had a pretty high AMH at the time, uh, which for people who might be listening, um, who aren't as familiar, that just, you know, it was just one indicator of ovarian reserve or um, what, how many eggs my body was producing. Um, and so everything else on paper looked great. Um, and he, so he basically was like, once I remove the septum, you should have no problem. Um, and it's a good thing that we remove it because it can lead to, you know, it might not have contributed to your um, chemical pregnancy, but like if you got pregnant, you know, down the road, it can contribute to miscarriage and riskier pregnancy and, and all of that because it gives the baby less room to grow um, because it was basically dividing my uterus in half.
0: Okay. So are you just able to explain to the audience? So basically it's like, it's almost like the, there's like tissue kind of connecting.
1: Yep. It, that's, yeah. that's exactly how I would explain it is like a thin layer of tissue essentially dividing my uterus in, in my case in half, but some people, you know, some people have a septum, it might not be like the full length of their uterus, or it might be in like a different part. Mine was just like right down the middle, essentially like top to bottom. Um, yeah. but um so he recommended doing um a hysteroscopy uh and, and removing the septum um which he could do in the office in, in you know in their surgical space in the office um so we did that we tried we, you know we really wanted to kind of like get things going as quickly as possible um so we we did that the first chance we could couple months uh maybe like two months later like still still wasn't pregnant um we tried, um, then we kind of started trying to do, um, medicated cycles, even though like it was, I knew I was ovulating, um, because I was taking ovulation tests and stuff. Um, I knew I was ovulating, um, and uh, you know, my cycles were long, but I was having somewhat regular cycles. They were like 35 to 37 days, so long, but ha- happening, um, Uh, but I still wasn't getting pregnant. So we started with medicated cycles Um, that didn't work. Then I had, so then when that wasn't working, we, um, we moved on to IUI um, where we, so we did two of those. um, And on my second one, I got pregnant again, but that wasn't my second chemical pregnancy. Mm. So That was, that was hard um, because I also think nobody really manages expectations when it comes to IUI um, and the success rates are actually quite low, but I, I understand why people do them because it's so much less invasive. It's so much less expensive. Um, A lot of insurance companies in the States require a certain amount of IUIs before heading to IVF. Um, So I totally get it. um, But the success rates are not super high. Um, So anyway, so at that point we were kind of like, okay, like our doctor started kind of talking to us about IVF and we wanted to take our time to figure out like what that meant in a lot of ways, like financially um, you know, what would that mean in terms of like my, like my body and what kind of medication would I be on? Um, timing wise, like how does that work? So while we were do- figuring all that stuff out, we figured we'd do another iUI cycle, um, which we did and I didn't get pregnant from anyway. so um and we got a second opinion just to confirm that IVF like was the right move um, and they said that it was. so we decided to move on to IBF
0: so. What was your so after your second chemical pregnancy? I've got two, sort of two things that I really want to dive into. So, after your second chemical pregnancy, you've now you know been trying for a while, you've tried all the natural things. Like, how, what was your frame of mind at that point? Like, what were some of the feelings that you were feeling at this point?
1: Well, at this point, it was over a year of trying, um, and you know, I, I mean, I think at this point, just my, my biggest thing, like throughout my entire fertility journey is, was, was all about time, like time that I'll never get back. Um, and like, especially with my cycles being longer, like everything just takes so much time. So for me, it was like, okay, I was very focused on like, when like, what's the next move? Like I want to be prepared, you know, and I'm, and I'm a planner by nature. Like I'm very type A in that way. Um, so for me, I was thinking like, okay, like if we know we need to do IVF, like let's, let's make sure that we, we can start it as soon as possible. Um, let's make sure we have all of the information and like really do our homework. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was frustrating at that point. Um, it was probably right around that time that one of my first other girlfriends got was got pregnant. Um, you know, of course, like a month after her wedding, and like it was like no, no big deal. So like that kind of and obviously I was so happy for her, but like that kind of coincided with the fact that we were like actually really starting to like do some ser- more serious fertility treatment. Um, was challenging for sure. Um, but we were, were very kind of, yeah, I mean, not at first. Um, I mean, like I had to- like, like some close friends knew that, um, that we were trying, but my husband is a lot more private than I am. So, um, you know, out of respect for him, like I, w- I certainly wasn't like posting on Instagram about it. Like I, like I do now. Um, and you know, it wasn't until, um, it wasn't until, uh, we, um, had been trying for a little bit and and, it, and talking to other people that like, I really realized how many people were affected by, uh, different fertility challenges. And there were people who, like everyone that I would tell would be would either like they had experienced an issue or like they had a friend who they were like, Oh, you should, you guys should talk or, you know, their sister or their mom or like their, you know, brother or whatever. Um, so it was starting to occur to me like how, much of an issue this actually was and that nobody was really talking about it openly um and you know so I started being a lot more open about it probably um like just probably like several months in like I wasn't open about it at first because I didn't think that there was even like really a problem um but once I once I kind of learned you know what a big um what a big deal this is to so many people that was when um that was when I kind of started being more open about it um and I should also say right around this time was when I started thinking about leaving my job and starting co-fertility, like partially for that reason. Um, so just, yeah, I mean, I, I now I'm very open book and, and I have been for, for a while now, but um, at first I wasn't.
0: Okay. Um, and so you know you, so you're in this process you went to get a second opinion and i just like the more i come into contact with people full disclosure we never ended up getting a second opinion we moved through treatments very quickly similarly to similarly to you we did you know ovulation inductions and i like a couple of ovulation inductions and a couple of ius and then we moved on to IVF. i never got a second opinion however you know, we kind of move through cycles and change things up really quickly. I think second opinions are so incredibly valuable. However, many people are afraid to get second opinions. Can you talk to me about what getting a second opinion looks like? So how do you do? you just make it like a single appointment and then ask for a copy of your results? Or how does that work?
1: So basically we just made... Um and this is in the States, I'm not, you know, I'm not as familiar necessarily with how it might work elsewhere, but um, basically like, I mean, I had asked, at this point I knew like a lot of people who had gone through fertility treatment um, or had, um, you know, experienced treatment one way or another. Um, so I had some names of others who people recommended. Um, and it was really just about setting up a consultation and, you know, we had all of our, <clears throat> excuse me, we had all of our records um sent over to a different doctor's office just so I mean the intention was for him to review them beforehand, although it was very clear when we were in that meeting that he had not reviewed them beforehand and he was looking at them for the first time in that conversation. So that was like number one, we we weren't really considering switching doctors altogether, but like if he had like totally wowed us, maybe we would have. And that was like one thing where we were like, okay, this guy clearly doesn't really care to like research you know what might be going on with us but anyway and my medical records were really long because i had already done i had already done like a year's worth of treatment at that point um so anyway our records were sent over to the new office um my our doctor was very i i, I know not all doctors are like this our doctor was very um nice and understanding about the fact that we wanted a second opinion um which I think is very fair. Like if you're about to jump into an IVF cycle, like in our case, like if you're about to jump into an IVF cycle, which was our reason for wanting a second opinion, like that's very invasive. It's very expensive. Like we want to really make sure that we're doing the right thing. So um, it shouldn't be taken personally or like insulting. Um, And our doctor was really open to it and encouraged us to do it. Um, So we told him that we were thinking of doing that and he was like, okay with it. So we had our records sent, and we made we just basically made an appointment for a consultation where we sat down um, and just talked to this doctor about, you know, all of our history up to this point, why our why our current doctor was recommending IVF, um, what would he do, um, and we talked about it for a bit. And he did do um, an ultrasound, and again, this was like right, this was would have been right. I think I, this was either right before or right after that, my, that third IUI that we did while we were kind of like waiting and figuring things out. Um, and he was like, he was like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't do an IUI this cycle. Psych- like I wouldn't have done an IUI this cycle. Like you have a couple large follicles, um, you know, you risk, you could have a risk of multiples. Like, um, and I forget why um, my, my our original doctor was like, no, that's not the, you know, those were, those follicles were not like, you weren't going to ovulate um, those and you would have been completely fine. Um, But that was the one thing where we were like, huh, like maybe, maybe we should consider a different doctor. But, um, but besides that, he did confirm that IVF was the right choice. Um, So we were, we just felt more comfortable with our original doctor. And at that point we were like, we already have such a relationship with him. Like, we don't want to like spend more time doing more like homework and delaying things further. Like, let's just like stay the course with our original doctor, call it a day.
0: Okay. Uh, and then so at this point, they're recommending IVF because you know, so you've had a few chemical pregnancies, you had um your the septum has been removed. So it's kind of unexplained infertility at this point, right?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was ovulating fine um, on paper. I was it, On paper, things looked fine. Uh, my husband looked great. The only thing that we hadn't really explored yet was um, egg quality or chromosomal abnormalities, um, which were, you know, so that was why our doctor suggested that we explore IVF, especially when it came to the chromosome. He didn't, he didn't think that egg quality would be an issue. Um, but he, and I mean, and my husband and I had, had done, um, had done genetic testing, but, um, but there's still a possibility of chromosomal abnormalities with, um, with embryos and stuff. So, um, so that was why he wanted us to explore it.
0: Okay. And so you went forward then with your first IVF cycle. Were there any, I'm just curious to know, Were they, did your clinic offer anything outside of just the medical treatment? Like there's some clinics that are doing like yoga, mindfulness, uh, all of these different things. In some respects, I feel like New York can be quite progressive with all of that kind of stuff. What, what did your clinic have any kind of, you know, other thing? Like some clinics now in my old clinic has an acupuncture uh, thing within it what did what did treatment at your clinic look like
1: so my my clinic in new york was amazing um i was like anyone who i talked to i I always say that they're when it comes to like patient communication um they are they really are top notch um they um like they would maybe maybe because i called them too frequently but like they would know when i was calling like who was calling because they would recognize my phone number um and you know they would be like hi ariel like they would like no they, the receptionists would remember me because i was there so often and probably because i bugged the hell out of them um but they never let me feel that way so that was nice um but yeah they were they were great my doctor was like you know i could like i could email him directly i was i was Yes, I was communicating with a nurse when it came to like medication dosage and protocols and things like that. But um, but my doctor was always the one to call me, you know, with any results um, or like email me. I could have t- I could text him if I wanted to. I didn't abuse that because I, you know, I want to respect his life. Um, but yeah, it was great in that respect. Um, they did offer acupuncture, um, for before and after transfers, they don't have like an acupuncturist. Um, they don't have like acupuncture on site on like an ongoing basis. My clinic here in Boston does, but that's because it's like a much bigger space and it's just like New York, you know, things are a little bit smaller. Um, so, um, so yeah, they were they were they were really great um, in in many ways, and they're very supportive of. They have partnerships with different um, Eastern medicine um, places, and um, they're very supportive of of lifestyle um, of lifestyle changes and and nutritionists and mindfulness and all of that, and they make recommendations for who to see. Oh, cool.
0: And so you went ahead, still kind of no red flags talk me through I guess the next steps of your journey and what happened from there.
1: Yeah, so we did um, so we did our first round of IVF which resulted in um, I think it was 18 eggs, 17 were mature, 15 fertilized, um, which we were like, great, that sounds awesome. And then you know, I don't even know why they bother telling you how many fertilized at first because then you get all excited. And then you wait several days, um, and And get disappointed. Yeah. And (laughs) so so we, so we thought like based on the fact that 15 had fertilized, we were hoping to get like maybe seven, um, seven embryos sent out for genetic testing, like maybe like, like 50%. And when we got the call that only four had made it to that point, we were like crushed. Um, and, so that was really disappointing. And then we sent those four out for genetic testing and two came back normal. Um, mm-hmm. So we were almost like less, we were more disappointed about how many had made it to day five than the two that, that came back normal. Cause that we were at least like somewhat prepared for. Um, I mean, it's, of course like some people get none and like that is soul crushing um, of course. But, and so we're, we were very fortunate to have the two, but Um, we were disappointed to have had so many eggs and uh, so many embryos and then only, only four make it to day five. Um, my doctor and my husband were both on the board, on the side of let's, um, let's transfer one and see what happens. Um, I was very adamant that I know that we, and, and my husband and I both like know that we want more than one child. Um, and in my mind I was like, I just know that like we're not going to have more than one child if we only have two, if we only have two embryos, that's not, that's not necessarily true for everyone, but like, I wanted to kind of hedge my bets and do another cycle because if I want two or potentially three children, um, I, I was like, you know, and what if, what if we transferred one and I do get pregnant and then I'm not going to be doing another cycle for a while and my, and my body could be totally different. And, you know, I'd rather get another cycle out of the way now. So that was kind of like one point where my, that was like the only time really that like my husband and I really disagreed on anything about treatment, um, because he wanted to just like push forward with a transfer and I wanted to do another cycle, um, So I won that argument. (laughs) And we did do another cycle, um, which yielded um, 18. I mean, I'm sorry, not 18, eight eggs. And and they actually gave me the option to um, stop to cancel the cycle like halfway through because my body was only producing like half the amount of less than half the amount of eggs that it did the first time. Um, And they were like, we just know your body's capable of doing more. But like, I had already, I was already like halfway down this path. I had already like spent so much time on vacation. Like there was no way that I was going to cancel. And we were like, at that point, we were like on a timeline, time crunch because it was like, everything was so planned out, which is so hard to do with IVF. But like my sister was getting married and before that, like we had her bachelor party and my brother-in-law's bath her bachelorette party and my brother-in-law's bachelor party and like we were gonna be moving to Boston in March and like we needed to like really like just keep moving forward and we were like we've already come this far so we kept moving forward we were like you know if who knows maybe the quality will be better than the last time um and uh So long story short, even though I yielded fewer eggs, we wound up with the same results. We got two genetically normal embryos. Um, And I should also mention that my doctor, you know, even though it's not, there's so much unknown about the fertilization process from the first round, it seemed like something was happening kind of midway through, like that the embryos just to go from 15 fertilized to only four, like something was happening where the embryos just, weren't even though like my eggs were fine quality his sperm was fine quality like something was happening with the embryos that they just weren't able to develop properly um so we did the second round we had we got two more embryos so at this point we had four embryos total um genetically normal so we decided to move forward with a transfer and um and that resulted in my third chemical pregnancy and that was a genetically mm-hmm. tested like should have been a slam dunk. Um, and and that's something that I feel like I hear from a lot of people is, you know, that they either miscarried or, you know, or failed uh, a cycle with a genetically normal embryo, um, a genetically tested embryo. And, you know, unfortunately, like so much of this is just like luck of the draw. And like, it's just not a guarantee. And there's so much that's unknown. And, you know, genetic testing doesn't capture everything. And, um, but I, I was like, I was super pissed that that had happened. Um, At that point, that was my third chemical pregnancy. Um, This, in my mind, was supposed to rule out that that was going to happen. And that was kind of the point where I was like, okay. And and at that and my doctor even was like, let's just try another. Let's try again. You know, this could just be – this could have just been a – um like a fluke and like i really think that if you try again it might work but i was like see i never through, yeah. Yeah.
0: i'm i'm in, i would i would never i would not accept that
1: <laughs> well i didn't either so um you know and 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 truthful like you know we'll never know because um you know i on my second on my second transfer attempt i did get pregnant and knock on what i'm still I'm still pregnant and I'm 37 weeks and I'm due to deliver, you know, in, in two weeks. And, um, you know, we'll never know if it was just luck or the changes that we made or whatever. But, um, so for all we know, it could have worked if we just tried it again, then, but I was not willing to just like take that chance of just like throwing, throwing darts at the wall and like expensive, darts. What, what stick. <laughs> expensive very expensive darts. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to just, I'm, I'm willing to like take a pause from, from this, from, from the transfer plan. Um, I want to figure out like, like, let's do some testing because I'm not going to, um, continue to just experience this when we only have three embryos left at this point. So I did, so I, I pushed, I was like, so I was like, what can we do to like, make sure that this doesn't happen again? And I did the um, repeat pregnancy loss um, panel blood work um, that came back normal. So like still unexplained at this point, which was so frustrating. Um, I did an endometrial biopsy to rule out endoneutritis, came back normal. Um, I We talked about doing the Receptiva test to see if I potentially had um, some of the markers lining, for, endomet- yeah. for endometriosis um, which was always kind of like a suspicion of mine um, because I did have some symptoms they had gotten a little bit better but I I did I did have some, some endometriosis symptoms you know like super painful periods for example um, that like when I was younger I used to like have to stay home from school um, things like that um, so I always have like a suspicion but Um, it essentially came out, you know, when I, when I talked to my doctor, I was like, well, would this change, would the results of this change my protocol going into my next transfer? And he said, no. And at that point I was like, well, I'm all for like, let's, let's do a bunch of tests. But if this is just going to be another $500 test that like, isn't going to change anything, then I'm not going to waste my time and money doing that. So that was like the one test that we didn't do. Um, we did not do. DNA fragmentation test. That was, I guess, maybe the second, or, um, yeah, I don't think we did. I don't think we did that. Um, but that would have probably been the next step. Um, but, and then the last thing that, um, that we looked at was, um, I had heard a lot about reproductive immunology. Um, and, um, I had some friends who had seen this other doctor, um, in New York who, basically um who my whom my RE was familiar with and had kind of um and had worked with in the past, you know, collaborating on treatment for different patients. Um and basically his whole philosophy, this reproductive immunologist, is um, you know, really investigating to see if your body is like attacking an embryo in some way. Um and that can be due to Lots of different factors, you know, autoimmune disease, for example. So if your body, like, is viewing an embryo as like a foreign, you know, unwelcome um, thing in your body, and, and it decides to kind of attack it, whether that's through um, natural killer cells or other other factors. Um, he also looks at a lot of things related to blood flow. So if you if you aren't um, getting enough blood, proper blood flow to, um, where the embryo is supposed to implant. Um, that can be an issue. So he get he gets super, super granular in what he looks for. Um, and this is probably the other point where my husband and I kind of disagreed because, um, my husband was very much of the mindset that like, if you look hard enough for something, you'll, if you look hard enough for anything, you'll, you're bound to find something, um, just to like, just to like place blame and like have something that you can say is causing it, but it might not be the, be, it might not get you pregnant. Um, and he, this, this doctor was very expensive. And I was like, you know what, this is cheaper than having to do, than having to waste more embryos and doing another cycle of IVF. So like, let's just go. So once again, I won that argument and <laughs> we went um, and we spent a really long time with him really going through our, our history and, He, I loved him. He was super, you you could just tell he was super, super motivated to like get to the bottom of unexplained infertility and like, or or recurrent miscarriage um, and try to figure out what was wrong. Um, Even if that means like really granular detailed blood work, like he was just so fascinated by like figuring out solutions to problems. I love that. So yeah so 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 i i loved working with him um and basically what we found was that i um i a couple things basically i have two different kind of predispositions to um blood clotting disorders um or just blood flow disorders um one of which is hereditary which is not surprising because my grandmother did um i've never had a blood clot but like my grandmother used to get them um and um, I guess when the, those two factors kind of interact, it can cause poor blood flow, um, which could impact the ability of uh, an embryo to survive. Um, the other thing was I, I was a very slight, I had a very, very slight elevation of um, two different types of cells that demonstrated like very, like very, very, very slight um, auto, just autoimmune factors, um, so the combination of those three things, he basically, he was like, okay, I'm going to put together, he put together like a plan for me, um, basically leading into my next transfer, um, that would kind of be layered on top of whatever my RE was going to prescribe. Um, and that was, that was the plan heading into the next, the next transfer. And it worked. Well, sort of. So, Mm -hmm. so that's, so then, so that we got all this information. I was really, for- I was glad we figured this out before we moved. We moved to Boston like two weeks after this um, meeting and I actually got pregnant spontaneously, naturally, mm-hmm. um, which was like, it, it was so crazy. I got pregnant like the week that we moved. It was like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, like should have moved to Boston a long time ago. This, <laughs> or, like it's this is just like some divine intervention. It's crazy. Yeah. Um And it was like, uh, it was a higher risk pregnancy and I wound up miscarrying at around like Mm. six and a half weeks. Um, or I mean, I, I didn't find out until eight weeks, but, um, but apparently, uh, the baby had stopped growing at six at about six and a half weeks. Um, so that set us back a lot. Um, you know, obviously emotionally, because that just, it just sucked. Um, it was my, that was my first like, like, um, that was my first loss beyond kind of like the super, super early stage. Um, of that was my first clinical miscarriage. Um, so I had to have a, like a DNC. Um, it was about a week before my sister's wedding. I'm um, so, sorry. so that was, thank you. Um, yeah. So that was really hard. It was the day before mother's day. Like it was mm. just like, it was really rough. Um, but, and, 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 you know, on top of it all, it also meant that we like couldn't, we were so eager to like start treatment leading up to our next transfer which was now going to be here in boston with our new doctor um and it just pushed our timeline back a couple months further which just sucked um but all of that is to say you know once we did once we did start with our doctor here um who we adore um he he's fantastic uh, and uh, and knew what, you know, totally unlike that second opinion meeting where the doctor didn't know anything about us. Um, we walked in and this doctor had like memorized my 200 page uh, medical transcript. So um, he was, he was awesome. Um, we did the uh, we did his, the, his protocol with the reproductive immunology protocol, which he was supportive of doing. Um, and it was, I'm not going to lie. It was really rough. Like I was, I was, it was a very, it was like a four month long protocol basically. Mm -hmm. So my whole summer last year was just tons of medication and, um, like Lupron and, um, you know, we were talking about prednisone, which like really can mess with you. Um, and it was, it was rough, but, um, but it worked and, and here we are, um, So like I said, like still, still kind of unexplained, like we'll never, we'll never know if I'm pregnant now because of the change in RE protocol or which, which our New York doctor would have probably would have done something similar anyway, but we will never know if my pregnancy now is because, um, of the different RE protocol, if it was because of adding in the immunology protocol or if it was just like pure luck. Um, so We'll never know, but, like, we'll take it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah,
0: definitely. And I think, you know, I have to, I guess, like, give a lot of credit to you as well because on the same token, there's there's been a lot of not being afraid to self-advocate. I mean, we can look at your journey and say, well, what if you had stayed for another year at an OBGYN's office? And I always think that like obgyns are amazing but let's say you have endometriosis how often are they seeing clients with endometriosis versus how often is a reproductive endocrinologist fertility specialist seeing you know those kind of challenges the more you see it the more you can recognize it the more you know what to do and so you know there's a lot of self advocacy got there on your journey of saying, I'm not afraid to get a second opinion. Actually, I'm not afraid to, you know, instead of sticking with my clinic at New York, I'm going to go where it's closer to home. And I'm going to, That's like, it can be a really um, scary and disempowering process to say, to call, like, scary, to call a clinic and say, I, I want to let you know that this is what we're doing and I want you to give me all of my test results. So kudos to you for being confident enough to do that because it's like, if I, you know, it's expensive. This is our lives. We don't have forever to do this and it's emotionally draining. Like it's a heartbreaking process. So, you know, kudos to you. There's yeah, a million it's, it's, different things that could have played out differently.
1: And it's, thank you. And um, yeah. And it's like, I mean, we, we're moving anyway. So like we had, we kind of had to, we were forced to kind of switch, switch doctors. But, um, but if we weren't, um, you know, who knows maybe after a while we would have, and you know, it's, it's, it is scary to think about, to think about switching, um, switching doctors because and I think it's almost the same way that like, sometimes people stay in relationships too long, even when they're unhealthy for you. Like it's just the comfort of somebody who knows you and you have a history and, you know, but people shouldn't be afraid to at least explore um, if somebody else might be a better fit. And in our case, like he wasn't, and we wound up sticking with our original, our original doctor, but people shouldn't be afraid to um, at least ask the question. It is, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like it's annoying. It's time consuming. Like it requires even more phone calls and effort, but like, it might be worth it. Um, it, you know, and, and it's, it is so hard when, when you're on this fertility journey, even like a month can feel like a year, but it might wind up that one month, like might wind up making so, of of kind of just spending a little bit more effort of finding a better fit for you may be, um, maybe so worthwhile in the long run. Um, so it's you know it's worth at least exploring. So you have a website called cofertility. Can you tell
0: me what I guess was your what did you feel was really needed uh in the community that I guess was your impetus for starting cofertility?
1: Yeah, um so I at the time um so my whole career has been on the marketing side. Um And, you know, just engaging with consumers, um, and, and, you know, with content that resonates with them. Um, and I worked for a couple of brands in the retail and fashion space actually. So like literally had no experience in the wellness or health or medical sphere whatsoever until my own personal journey, which I feel like gave me a whole education of its own. Um, but when I was experiencing infertility, I always felt like, you know, even though I had, I mentioned, you know, my doctor was so, um, his communication was great. Like he answered all my questions. Um, even though my doctor was was awesome. My friends and family were really supportive. I lived in New York City. I had tons of access to awesome resources that, um, you know, that I was, I was fortunate to have. Um, even though I had all of those things, I'm only human, and like sometimes when you want just an immediate answer to your question, you turn to the internet. Um, And what I found when I would look for information online was a really, really terrible experience. Um, Mm. It was basically a mix of a couple things: forums that look like they're a hundred years old, and like yes, and like kind of are. Like they're, I mean, forums have been around for like yes god like forever um Mm. and so forums that have been around for that are super janky looking and and old and just not a good experience not an involved consumer experience and also not to mention like not trustworthy like just because someone says that something uh worked for her or him doesn't mean that it's going to work for you and isn't shouldn't be taken as like medical advice um so it was a combination of forums blogs that are awesome, but like anecdotal, um, and, and, you know, potentially, you know, a little bit more personal and more emotional support clinic websites that, you know, at the end of the day, they're really just trying to get you through the door and not to mention they have like zero brand personality whatsoever. Like you're not going to relate to anything that they're saying. Um, everything is very sterile and impersonal and cold and clinical. Um, or like parenting and motherhood and pregnancy sites where like fertility is kind of this thing on the, on the side where it's like okay like you know pregnancy motherhood um parenting and then stop lumping like, us in that group yeah yeah <laughs> and, it, and it, it just and it and and it felt like this group of people just needed their own dedicated love like it didn't it didn't feel right to me it felt like like a wrong puzzle piece fitting in fitting in with the rest of that content. Um, So I was like, I was just like this group of people, I know that this impacts so many people and they just deserve better. Um, They deserve information that is educational and useful, but also with a a brand experience that feels relatable and authentic and cool and like not like, and actually has a personality. So, that's kind of how co-fertility was born. Um, We say, we aim to answer every fertility question out there and uncomplicate the fertility journey through our content, our resources and our tools um, that address every aspect of the fertility journey, basically up until like a successful pregnancy. So, um, everything from, you know, how do I know when I'm ovulating, which like I said, my OB like didn't explain that to me. So I really just didn't even know. Um, everything from something like that to, um, you know, if somebody's actually been diagnosed with an infertility related condition, and maybe their question is more around a type of medication or a procedure or, um, like the cost of something. Um, so we really try to kind of tackle it all. And all of our content, um, is in like total layman's terms. It's really digestible. Um, I knew I didn't want it to be like really long videos or really, really dense articles filled with medical jargon. Um, I wanted something that, you know, somebody could try to find the answer to his or her question um, and, you know, skim it while they're on the subway on their way to work or something um, and, you know, get their answer and like move on with their life. Because if they're facing fertility challenges, they're busy enough. And they don't really, they don't want to like dig through dense content. Um, So yeah, so we have, we have lots of great content on there um, that answers questions like that. We also have our tools that um, like our, you you mentioned our grant finder tool, um, which is the largest database that exists um, on the internet for fertility grants, donated services, discounted services, um, discounted medication, um, things like that, um, just to help people save money on treatment. Um, I should mention that it's, it's it's mostly us only um so unfortunately for our global listeners um hopefully hopefully we'll expand uh we'll expand that one day but um yeah just trying to make the fertility process just easier for people because previously it's just information is just so spread out there's tons of misinformation um we just want to like uncomplicate it all
0: that's awesome and so where can they go to find
1: you So they can find us at cofertility.com.
0: Awesome. And you are also super, um, your Instagram feed is the biz. I love it. So definitely it's at cofertility. So really easy, C-O fertility. Um, And yeah, like it's an awesome site. Are you ready for a speed round?
1: Yes. Um, Give me one second. Okay. Yes, I am ready. Right. And if my if my dog starts barking in the background or if there's some background noise, um, I don't know if you edit these, but uh, just let me know and I can just repeat it because it has no knows. worries. So what is a book that you recommend
0: everyone reads?
1: So I am actually not a huge book reader um, because I'm reading all the time in terms of like research and news and like articles and stuff. But um, I did recently read Little Fires Everywhere, which is awesome. Um, there are a lot of really great themes of motherhood, especially, which I think um, is int- could be really interesting for, for this audience. And I highly recommend it. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? I really like um, the saying progress, not perfection, um, just because the pressure to do everything perfectly, um, can get a little bit much, but it's important to remind ourselves that we're always learning something.
0: Mm, I a hundred percent love that quote. And if you had one sort of message or one thing that you just wanted to like scream to people or let people know,
1: what would that be? Definitely just ask questions. Um, you know, that's just, you're not going to be, you're not, you're not going to be too annoying. Um, and, and if somebody thinks that you are, then they're not the right person for you to be, you know, engaging with. Um, there's not, there are no stupid questions. Um, ask as many questions as you can to feel comfortable with where, with where you're at and what you're doing, because, um, it's so important to just like have a clear understanding of, of your own health journey.
0: That is, um, fantastic advice and this has probably been a longer podcast than we usually do but it's been I think it'll be very relatable for a lot of people and it will probably give a lot of people the confidence to maybe change up their cycles a little bit advocate for themselves more and possibly bring up you know some different questions that they will have with their fertility specialist it's been a real pleasure speaking with you and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us
1: thank you so much for having me it was great chatting with you We will catch you
0: all next week, everyone. Please make sure that you subscribe. And also, if you loved this episode and loved our other episodes, come and find us both on Instagram. And we would love, love, love for you to share a review with us on iTunes. Thanks, everyone, and catch you next time. Okay, Warrior, I need to ask you a huge favour. Did you know that the Fertility Warriors podcast comes out every Wednesday? So why not subscribe so that you get notified of future episodes? But also, if you liked this episode, and especially if you're a long-term listener, you would make my day if you would jump into your podcast player and leave me a written review. Seriously, I live for these. But more importantly, they tell the podcast gods that this podcast is helpful so that they can send it out to more people and you can help me help others in the process. I will be ever so grateful for a podcast review. But lastly, Warrior, I need to also let you know, I am not a doctor or a dietitian or a financial advisor. I'm me and the information in this podcast is for information and inspirational purposes only, based on my own experiences. So please don't substitute the information you hear on the Fertility Warriors podcast for professional advice. And know that, girl, in the world of trying to conceive, there are no guaranteed pregnancy or other outcomes. Please check out my website, robinberkin.com if you would like to read my full terms and conditions.